Hi, Jordan. How are you doing? Are you excited? <laughs> yes, it's nice to finally get a look inside the beast. Um, we got that uh, uh, leak from Electric like a little over a year ago before Battery Day, and uh, this gives us a bit more detail because we were kind of looking at it from side on, those discs, and uh, we didn't know if it was a plastic disc or metal, but now it looks like it's confirmed that it's uh, metallic and it actually goes over the, the tabless flat. And what is your sense? Like, what are you reading into this? Like, I've been seeing these pictures for a little longer than you have. You had about an hour and you upscaled them. If people want to look at you up on Twitter, you've upscaled them two and a half times. But what's your first, like, first impressions? Like, what are you reading into this? That's actually something I'd like to uh, talk or walk through with you. Mm -hmm. uh, Because I think you mentioned on Twitter that you thought it was something to do with shock. And um, that may be the case, but my first question would be, if it was shock, um, why would shock be a problem with the 4680, but whereas it's uh, not, a, not an issue with the 2170 battery cells? Um, it, it very well could be shock, but um, it, to me, it seems like it's something more to do with kind of connectivity. Once you compress those, uh, the, the compress it into the can and you put the lid on, uh, you need a way to maintain connectivity. And when I looked through the patent, there was about a dozen different ways that they were thinking of doing the connectivity. But this is different from anything that was in the patent. Okay, so let me start by saying, if you research a little bit about uh, like uh, 21, well, lithium-ion cells and vibration, there's a whole series of tests that are standard for the industry. Uh, and vibration and shock is a big part of those tests. And there is some damage that can occur, especially in um, cylindrical cells. Uh, you'll find that um, they can like damage like the uh, the uh, the cathode and the anode like jelly roll. So if they if there's shocks or vibration, long term vibration, it, damage could occur. And you know what happens when damage occurs? It could be problematic. Second thing is um, what I'm seeing and what I saw in this is like if you look at the assembly, like the manufacturing, uh, if you look at the can itself, uh, you'll see like I'll call the the cathode on top the nipple, for lack of a better word. And uh, I'm thinking that they go through the jelly roll and basically weld the that center piece of the uh, uh, cathode current collector to the inside nipple and then basically if you put it vertically the the spring-like things extend and they go down a bit and then they weld those six tabs of the anode current collector in a specific place in the can so basically it's like between like shock absorbers you know between like two springs so basically, the whole thing can be free floating in there, and the shocks won't like it won't like hit on any of the surfaces because going upwards, if the G's are are, are too strong, it'll be retained by the the anode, and if going down the G's are too strong, it'll be retained by the cathode. So this is where I'm thinking that the um, the thing is in like almost like in suspension in the can. This is where my mind was going when I saw this. Uh, I, I don't know if you're reading the same thing into this. I, I definitely see what you're saying. It's a it's a thought that passed through my head. Basically, you're giving 
uh, each battery cell kind of an internal suspension system to protect it from shocks and vibrations. But uh, I guess if the 2170 doesn't have an issue with that, it's a, it's a solved problem there. Otherwise, they wouldn't be putting them in vehicles. Why would the 4680 be having issues with um, mechanical uh, vibration damage issues, whereas the 2170 did? Well, it is, it is a heavier jelly roll. So it, it will be more uh, susceptible to high G-forces to basically like the, the momentum that it would carry with it would probably be stronger than a small AT650 or 2170. Like I said, there are actual tests that are being done. And one I, I can share with you maybe the paper I was reading. Uh, they basically said that um, cylindrical cells would pass the test, but when they analyzed them like through x-rays, they saw a little bit of damage, but they still passed the test. Like the, I think it's UN, don't remember exactly. There's a whole like standard of testing. Uh, I could find it again. And so, so it's basically yes. like if it's heavier, you might need those shock absorbers. And it's also an extra safety feature where you're, you're sure that the, cause a lot of people thought that the bottom, like the, the copper flags were like in direct contact with the bottom of the cell. Uh, of, of of the cell can and that that would be the ideal place to like remove heat whereas now we can clearly see that the heat that's being generated inside the jelly roll is basically going to the copper flags which are connected to this copper cathode uh, anode current collector and being welded on like six large surfaces inside the can but on the inside wall of the can so this is where the heat is going. It's on the bottom portion of the inside wall of the can, not the bottom at all. I don't think it even touches the bottom of the can. Yeah, well, going back to the, uh, the vibration thing, um, if you, in order for that vibration dampening effect to work, uh, I would assume that the, the jelly roll would have to be able to, to slide like a piston up and down within that battery cell in order to take advantage of that shock effect. Whereas generally, these battery cells are so tightly packed in there that the, they don't budge at all. It's, uh, as, as soon as they put that electrolyte in, it's just jammed and it can't move. So um, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't see that you'd be able to take advantage of that spring effect unless the jelly, can, jelly roll can move within that can. But we might be getting into too much detail here. <laughs> no, no, know. no. Like, uh, fair warning to everybody. We're, we're nerding out on, like, engineering and manufacturing of these cells. So, yeah, it's, this is what it's about. So, yeah, let's deep dive into it. Yeah, I would agree with you. Like, when you look at people, like, uh, taking them apart, it's usually a pretty tight fit. I don't know how slippery, though, that outside white uh, covering uh, is, uh, and how much it's, it's made of the it's made of the same stuff that plastic bags are made of that you get at the supermarket. So it's it's actually very slippery by nature. Mm, yeah, but it is like if you um, have you ever tried to pack away a sleeping bag after you've gotten it out of its original packaging? <laughs> it's uh, you sp- like that's yes. how tightly packed the uh, the stuff is into that battery cell can. So you can't, in order to get, you can't just pull it out no matter how hard you pull. Uh, you actually have to peel it out mm-hmm. like an orange peel. But do we agree that if they wanted had to make it rigid, 
like both the, the connection, the connection to the cathode and, uh, the, the anode to the can, they could have made it rigid. There was nothing like preventing them from like not having these cut out like leaflets that look like springs. This is an added step. Well, it has to serve some purpose. Yeah, when I look at them, it looks like they're cut out in a way that if you, I can't think of a better example, but you know how there's a condom, like you have the, the, the edges of the condom, and then you kind of roll it over whatever you're rolling it over. <laughs> there's, it looks like it's something, <laughs> it looks like it's something like that. Whereas as you compress the, the lid over the, over the top of it, <laughs> I think some of those, some of it will fold down over the sides and the, the things that are sticking up will compress flat. No, I, I, this is where I disagree. First of all, because there's like okay. six gaps. Yeah. So you would have places where you like the crimping would be, would be leaky basically because it would try to crimp. So all these six tabs on the anode side, the copper side, um, maybe I'll just start saying copper. Everybody should know that copper, the copper side is the anode and the aluminum is the, the, the cathode, so we might simplify. So the copper, those six copper tabs are actually welded inside the the can, and the cap goes over it, but it does not crimp over these over these tabs. And you can see, like on on, on the an, uh, on the yeah. aluminum side, well, it's basically the reverse. Like those leaflets, the springs, because it's connecting to the nipple, are all pointing like towards the center instead of the the outside. Yeah, well, here's one thing I thought when um, I saw that image. Uh, what aren't we seeing? Because I bet you there's technology in the, inside the cell can and um, on the thing that's crimped, that uh, the interface. So I guess you know, what we're missing is the interface. So we're kind of taking stabs in the dark. But I, I do feel like we're getting somewhere. Um, now, I, I, I don't. My view is it's, uh, it would still be that it serves the purpose of electrical conduct uh, connectivity rather than some sort of vibration dampening effect um oh let, let, let's be clear like the first yeah. purpose of this is yeah. electrical con conductivity you, you need yeah. to connect the jelly roll to the can uh in some way but yeah. again why would they cut these leaflets uh if if i don't know because because the, these leaflets, for they they allow movement. Like if, if you would hold that uh, current collector in your hand and you would flick it with your finger, it would move. And they didn't have to make it that way. They could have made it simply like a whole rigid disc to connect all the flags and basically like weld it to the top or to the bottom. Those are extra steps they took both on the aluminum side and the copper side to cut out and and to and, and if you look at the copper side it's even like pretensioned like they've been bent upwards and you, you know what happens with copper once you start bending it you you work harden it so it's basically it doesn't it, it starts to become like a spring rather than like malleable so i like i said i i don't have insights whether it is or it's not i just want to make I'm not trying to convince you we're working through it because I don't have that information. Need is this Jordan. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm taking it in that, uh, um, with, with that frame of, uh, mind. Um, I certainly don't have the answers and, uh, it's, it's good to hear your, 
perspective, because as I'm looking at it now, it's, if it did um, kind of peel or stretch over the top of that, the, the circumference would have to stretch as well. So I, yep. I, I think my initial guess that it was some sort of stretch wouldn't work because um, there's there's no places in there where I can see where it would stretch. So it definitely has to be um, – I don't think those are going to fold down and it's going to lay flat. I think you are right that it's going to ma- kind of maintain that shape within the battery cell. So very well could be to, something to do with shock. Yes, and if you look at the aluminum, the aluminum is not like pre-stretched. Like it's pretty much laying down flat. You can see like on the angle photo that it's a bit like detached, but nothing like the copper side, which is like maybe a millimeter or two, like already bent. And this is where I'm thinking because the cans are sitting upright. So the cathode nipple is facing up that the weight of the jelly roll basically does the first extending of the aluminum uh, tabs, the, the little flaps that they were cut and the copper side basically is already pre-stretched to counterbalance that and be welded at exactly the right position within the can. So they're both sharing basically the load. One, one in tension, the other one in compression, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Hey, Omar. So I, I, I think you're closer <laughs> to the answer than I am. Go ahead. You can ask Omar more something. Yeah, how you doing, Omar? Uh- I'm driving to San Francisco, so my audio probably won't be that great, but I came in to listen for sure. Yeah, cool. Okay, um, Jordan, like uh, other details, what are you seeing in these images? If, if we move away from these little flaps, how are like people were asking in, in the tweets, like how is it connected? Like what, what are your thoughts? Well, this is what I'm missing from, like, we still, we need to take a look at the cell can, but I think you're on the right track because um, if, I guess, panning back here for a second, you have the cell can, which is one connector for the battery cell, and then you mm-hmm. have the nipple, which is the other con- uh, connector, the positive and the negative. I don't know of any other way um, that they would be able to do this because it looks like it, there's a continuous connection um, for the end entire battery cell. So I think that's one connector and the nipple is the other one. So if both of these are massive or yeah, if both of these are massive sheets of metal on the top and the bottom, there has to be something that isolates one of these from the battery and allows a very narrow connection to that nipple at the top, which would be the aluminum side. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Then there must be some type of, electrical insulator at the top inside the can. Yes. Uh, this is, this is maybe another discussion to have some other, some other day with different photos. Uh, but I'm, I, I'm yeah. thinking if, if you look at, uh, people were saying, how are these current collector attached to the flags on both sides? Do you have a guess as to that? Well, I think you were, uh, I couldn't explain it better than you did, which is that somehow those flanges are... No, 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 not the, not the, hold on, not the flanges. I'm talking about the flags. So what's underneath the collector? Oh, okay. I think it's just, does it actually need to be welded? That's a good question. Well, how would it remain in place? If it's, if it's not connected well, to the flags, like in a certain way, those collectors wouldn't stay put. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there's in the patent, the way they had it... Uh, 
they were going to use some sort of ultrasonic welding, uh, a combination of ultrasonic welding and the shape of the top and the bottom of the can itself uh, was supposed to maintain that conductivity. But I think their default was they wanted to be able to do it without welding so long as they had the right shape of material on the top and bottom. And so you compress that in there, you jam it in, and that's what maintains the conductivity. And that okay, so so I might be able to like guide you a little bit. If you look at uh, the photo you upscaled, especially like the first one, the copper. Do you see that in between yeah. each uh, like little spring, there's like three large lines and two short lines? What what do you make of those? Yes, I was lost on that. To me, I I see these those holes must serve some purpose, but I don't know what purpose they serve. And maybe you, with your engineering background, have an idea. <laughs> well, yes, they're they're not actual holes. If if you really look closely, they're laser welds. This is how the current collectors are basically welded to the the flags. Oh, so what we're seeing isn't actually a cut through. That what we're seeing is tr kind of a bit of charring. Yes. Well, the the, the metal that has been melted by by a laser that's actually welding the current collector to the underneath the, where the flags are. So like that Rosetta of laid down flags is basically welded to that current collector on both sides, actually, both aluminum and copper. And they both have the exact same pattern of welding. Okay. And what uh, are you just, what gives you that indication? Can you just tell by looking at it or is there, um, I guess I'm looking for the visual cues. Because to me, it kind of looks like we're looking through it into uh, the metal tabs, but that could be a trick of the eye. Yeah, it, it's a bit of a trick of the eye because if you, again, your first photo that you upscaled, and thank you for doing that, uh, you'll see that on around, I don't know, like 10 o'clock, if we can call it like the 10 o'clock uh, spring, if you look underneath, you can actually see the flags all laid down. But if, if you look at those um, uh, five lines, uh, you don't actually see through them. It, it, there's like little, like there's relief. So there's dark spots, light spots, but you're not seeing the flags through there. This is where the, the, uh, the collector is basically pressed against the flags. And then a laser goes there and basically does all these, those 30 weld lines, basically all around this and uh, all the, the six gaps, five, five welds per gap. And this is what holds the collector firmly against the flags on both sides. So basically, once all that's welded, like nothing is coming apart. Because if, if it wasn't fixed to the flags, then that current collector would, you know, it could Got short it. circuit, you know, it could like bounce around and spark because it, it wouldn't touch like uniformly. But with these 30 welds, you can actually see that it's, it's a firm connection uh, for for both electricity and uh, heat, because that's also very important to be, be being able to draw the heat to a specific area on the can. Nice. Yeah, I wouldn't have picked that up. I, I, um, yeah, I was stumped on that. Interesting. Yes, and the the thing that amazes me is is you know that any kind of uh, like impurity in a jelly roll can cause big problems. And they're actually, once the jelly roll is complete, they're actually doing welding on both sides, both to attach the current collectors, but then also afterwards to attach the aluminum current collector to the nipple 
and the copper current collector to the side of the can. So there have some pretty amazing technology to be able to do that uh, and not contaminate the jelly yeah. roll. Well, I think it's, yeah, absolutely. And this is one thing I noticed from all the images that we saw and looking at the design of the 4680. And uh, Panasonic raised the fact that this takes an order higher of precision than normal battery manufacturing, which in and of itself requires an extraordinary amount of precision. So for Tesla to be able to hit this kind of precision with the first battery cells that they've ever produced is pretty mind-blowing. They're doing more advanced work than any other battery manufacturer in the world. And this isn't something you can just um, do easily. It's it's really hard. So, uh, yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, there's, go ahead. Yeah, this with the welding and then uh, the narrow margins that they have around uh, the... There's a narrow strip of metal between the current collector foil and the active material. I don't know how they're able to crimp that without disturbing the active material that's right beside it. I don't know if that makes sense. You, you mean like when they cut the flags and bend them towards the inside, right? To do like the, the rosetta of, of flags. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's... If, there's any, if anything connects there then you have a short. And that would be really easy to do when you're bending all that material at the top and bottom of the cell. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Anyhow, we're, we're getting a bit off topic here, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's, all about, it's all about like nerding out on this engineering. Yeah, I gotta say I'm pretty impressed also with the, the way they thought it through of you know, being able to, because there's probably no other way of welding the aluminum side, like the copper side, it's on the open end of the can. So basically, you have full access. It's, I'm not saying it's easy, uh, especially because there's a jelly roll that you could contaminate, but it's much easier than to weld the cathode side, the aluminum side, onto the nipple. But going through, and I'm, the, that's the only way I'm seeing they could do it, is like going through the jelly roll, that ho hole in the middle, and basically reaching all the way to the other end of the jelly roll and basically tacking it either with laser welding or... Uh, ultrasonic welding to the inside of the nipple in the can. And then afterwards, once that's done, then they weld the cathode side, uh, the anode side, the copper side to the inside of the can. And then afterwards, they put the cap on, they crimp it, and then they fill it with electrolyte. I, I, I think the, like, when you think first principles and everything, I don't see how you could do a better job than designing a cell that that is assembled that way compared to how other cells, if you look how 2170s and uh, 1860s are made, it's much, much more complicated manufacturing wise. You know, like when you put the cap on, they have to weld the tab and close it up and put the electrolyte before closing. And it could induce a lot of like rejects and poor yield because you're leaving a big manufacturing step like to the end of making sure you have a sealed can. Whereas this, they basically do the whole thing before they fill it with electrolyte and start testing it and charging it for the first time and the maturation and everything. So I think there's a, a lot of manufacturing genius, uh, but like design-based, like they designed this cell to be, be able to be manufactured. E even though it's a complex cell to manufacture, they simplified it so much. And of course, they had to, like I said, the welding, I'm pretty impressed that they are able to weld the current collectors without contaminating. 
and the only thing that that's possible to do this with is laser welding. No other form of welding will, um, because you can't apply too much pressure, like for ultrasonic welding. So the only thing that could work is laser welding. Yeah, and for for perspective for people, basically what we're looking at here, right underneath that uh, aluminum top, uh, the material below that is only ten microns thick of copper. 10 microns is about the diameter of, uh, what would it be, a red blood cell. So uh, if, if you go deeper than the depth of that red blood cell, then you're messing up the material below and you might get a reject. So that's the tolerances we're talking here. We're talking cellular level um, precision. So, yeah. And, and going at ultra high speed, it's not like they're building these, like they're building Swiss watches with one guy like carefully under a microscope, like doing all these <laughs> operation. This is like an assembly line. These things are shooting out like a machine gun. So yeah, on that side, I would agree with you. It's very impressive. Hmm. Oh, and one thing, just as a side note, one thing I noticed when I was reviewing the, that footage from the advertisement for battery day, uh, if you slow it down, you can see when they're w winding the roll, there's a tear in the roll that gets rolled up in, into the jelly roll. So that was, I think, maybe you've mentioned it in the past, but I've seen it elsewhere where they might have issues with tearing that super thin material. But it's, um, if you slow down the footage, you can actually see a big chunk that's torn off. Um, so, yeah, I haven't, like that. I haven't spotted that, but I, I'll keep a lookout because I went frame by frame to find like the bottom of the cell, and there's actually only one frame, and it's my pin tweet. And it's total conjecture, like, w what it is about, like, the, the, the closing of the hole and being a, a safety vent. But, um, yeah, I went frame by frame, and I didn't, I didn't pay attention to the – I think I was skipping over it because I was so focused on finding a perfect image of the bottom of the, of the can instead of, like, the jelly roll. But, yeah, like, going at those speeds, winding speeds with material, like you said, that is so thin, you're bound to have – uh, some tears and you need to, to adjust like the tension and the speed and everything. So, so that doesn't happen. Yeah, it's super delicate and uh, totally understandable. There's, uh, I didn't even notice the thing you noticed about the, uh, the top of the cell can because you really, in order to catch this stuff, you have to go through it frame by frame. The tear that I'm talking about, that's also, I think maybe one or two frames and it's blurry. So it's hard to see. Um, but there was, yeah, you can spend hours tearing apart that footage and pick out details. Yes, and I'm thinking they, they almost probably did it a little bit on purpose because they could choose what they show and don't show. And <laughs> leaving yeah. like one frame, a clear shot of something might be just done on purpose. We don't know. That's conspiracy theories. But let me ask you this, like, what else are you curious about? the 4680 manufacturing or the design of the can, like you mentioned, like the nipple, how the, they insulate the, basically the, the cell body, the can from the nipple, which is the, the cathode side. Uh, is there anything else that you, you're mystified about or un unsure of? Yeah, I feel like the only missing piece that we have now is what the, the inside of that can and the lid looks like. And, uh, oh, and how it deals with uh, thermal runaway events and how it, how it deals with shorted cells. One thing I noticed when I was looking at the, the Giga Berlin 
images was um, generally the separator is super thin. It's yeah, like less than hair thickness. And around the outside separator, it looked like there was a thicker piece of material. I'm wondering if they put fire retardant material inside the battery cell as well around the jacket. Because I think one of, the, one of the key concerns with high nickel battery cells is the fact that they're flammable. I think one of the, probably the design parameters that Tesla had for this battery pack was we want to make sure that this thing uh, isolates thermal propagation as much as possible so the entire vehicle doesn't catch on fire. Like, for instance, maybe you have one battery cell go, it punches through the top, blows out the bottom, but it doesn't spread to the rest of the pack. If you can get that level of safety with these high nickel battery cells, um, it provide for me as an an investor, it would provide a lot of reassurance. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I I know nothing about the inside of the can. Um, my theory is basically like they're stamping like the the can body as they stamp any type of sheet metal. So basically, like cutting out discs and then like deep drawing them on on on, on forms, you know, on presses. And I'm thinking the nipple is basically there has to be some insulating material that covers the whole top of the can from the inside with a little hole. And I'm thinking the nipple could be like some sort of rivet where they're basically like a large flat bottom that's on the inside of the can and a thin uh, bar that sticks out. And then they basically press it and compress it so it's, it makes a tight seal. And that would be how I think I would manufacture it to to like reduce cost. Uh, so, so basically like uh, I think swaging it is the term in, in English where you, you, you mold metal like by, by pressure and maybe also spinning like a, a rivet and just basically like crunching it down. So it, it, that rivet would actually pinch the, the insulating material, which is the white thing that we see protruding at the top around the nipple that, that, that looks like a white plastic material and but but that little disc outside would be huge inside so basically covering the whole inside of the can uh at the top part so the you couldn't have a short uh, on that end Th that's my theory i don't know if it uh, if that makes sense yeah that that aligns with what i'm thinking i i noticed that white gasket around the nipple as well and I assumed it was insulation material so you could isolate the connection with the uh, the aluminum current collector. But I was like, okay, well, how do they do that on the inside then? But uh, what you're saying makes sense to me. It's as good as a guess as I could muster, at least. Yeah, it's because it has to be also very cheap, like manufacturing-wise. You, you can't have a super complicated can uh, or else, like, the, the, the cost benefits aren't going to be there. So that's the only way I could – well, and I'm not, like, a manufacturing expert by any – uh, stretch of the imagination, but this is what I'm thinking, like simple manufacturing methods uh, that, that, that are used elsewhere could be used there. Uh, for, for the whole like safety part, I don't know if there's anything in the can. Uh, of course, everything is basic safety. Like if this is a shock absorber, it prevents some damage from vibration and shocks. But um, I think for like thermal runaway, uh, I think the whole bottom and we might do an episode eventually about that, about the how the structural pack will will, will be uh, assembled and what it looks like. Uh, but I think like the whole bottom structure, uh, I think I was replying to somebody on Twitter, you know, you have three sides to these cells. You have the top, the bottom, 
and the the can itself, like the the surface of the can, uh, the cylindrical cell, and it's very hard to combine two functional aspects on one surface. So you have you, you need to connect these batteries somehow, and this is the top because you have both anode and cathode available on the top of the cell. So what makes sense is that then the sides and we've seen them in leaked photos and we've seen it in Gilberlin, the sides are mainly used for cooling. And then you're left with the bottom and the only last aspect that you have left is actually like the safety, the, the safety aspect for thermal runway, but also for shock. If something comes up from the road, like you roll over something and it, it punctures your pack, you don't want it to be in direct contact immediately with a cell. You probably want to have a gap, a safety gap, where uh, you can you can manage some perforation of the pack without ever damaging a cell. And I think it works the other way around too. If something happens within a cell and it starts to go into a thermal runway, then you would have, well, cooling is the number one thing to keep it from, from going there. But if the cooling, because the damage is too severe, is not managing that, uh, that thermal uh, runway uh, uh, event, well, then you want somewhere where you can like, purge all this hot material in a safe space that will not come back and bite you in the ass on the other cells that are adjacent and then do uh, a cascading effect, which could be disastrous. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, yeah, so that's an open question mark for me as well. Uh, Cause in Basically, the 21 battery, 2170 battery cell, there was a lot of safety built into that battery cell because it was going to be used in laptops. Whereas with the 4680, they can afford to, I think, strip some of that out um, and monitor and control these battery cells electronically. And then if there is an issue, have some sort of exit route for ejecta discharge. Yeah, well, maybe you can like tell our audience uh, what are those features that were in the eighteen six fifties and twenty one seventies, those safety features that were mainly designed for uh, laptop batteries. Oh, I'd have to. I think some of them actually contain a chip uh, at the top, but there's also um, there's like a diaphragm, and that diaphragm ruptures, and when the diaphragm ruptures, it, it also severs the electrical connection. So uh, basically, yeah. the, the cell uh, isolates itself from the rest of the battery cells. And then on top of that... And it also had it also had air vents, right? Like three little microscopic air vents that once you punctured the, the, the membrane, it could actually discharge hard gases outside without the cell like blowing up like a balloon. Correct. Yeah. So it gave it gave it an exit path, but um, Tesla may be able to do better than that in a more simple way, given that they're designing battery cells to be part of a larger automotive pack rather than uh, single use or, you know, three or four in a laptop. So it's uh, basically we're still using battery cells that were meant for laptops and Tesla has has an opportunity here to redesign them for a vehicle use case. Interesting. Uh, we, we could take questions also from the audience if people have questions, comments, or they notice something uh, in these photos or like their own knowledge, like feel free to call in and give your opinion on this. Here we go. So we have Ken. Welcome, Ken. Hey there. Hi, guys. 
Yes, go ahead. Yeah, I um, attached some photos that Galley took to um, uh, limiting factors tweet tweet. Mm-hmm. And if I was wondering, I saw the picture. There's the last one I put. My name is Kenneth K. Um, if you look at the last picture, it shows the electrical connections, right? So we're. So uh, yes. if you look at that, you do see the white ring that must be the isolator between the anode and cathode. Yeah, well, that's the outside of the jelly roll. So basically, when they finish rolling it, it has it's a white plastic bag material, as as Jordan was mentioning. And there's you can actually, I think, even make out a little bit of that blue tape, which is holding the whole thing together. So it doesn't unwind. Wait, you know, what I'm talking about at the Gigafactory Berlin, they had some videos. Mm-hmm. I mean, some um, pictures. Yes. So if you look at the pictures I attached to the limiting factors thing, um, you see the electrical connections that are be done at the top of the battery cell. Okay, so so you, you got to, like, okay, your last photo, which is, like, basically a cell that's opened up. Uh, right. Refresh one more time. Oh, okay. Hold it's, on. It's Let after me. that one. Okay, yes. Those are, like, the current collectors for the whole pack level. So th- this is where you connect right. these cells in series and parallel to create the right amperage and the right voltage. What we're right, so you can see that white line, a white ring around that, which is, yeah. must be the isolator. Yes, absolutely. This is what we're talking about. But the the question is, what does it look like inside the can? Because you also need to insulate. Mm-hmm. Like if you if you imagine the jelly roll coming out through the bottom. Uh, the cathode is basically cannot touch the can. It can only touch the nipple. If it touches the can, you have a short circuit. Right. So there must be some insulation someplace else that we don't actually see, right? So yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And in the other pictures that Jordan attached, um, so you see the copper with the hole in the center, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and those rings around the outside, that must that must go in attached to the can and then on the top, this must be the top of the can, right? With the, uh, the center that we see on the, on the lid. No, hold on. Like your previous one with the uh, can, like no, opened up, at- that's the bottom. That's what we call the bottom. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, that's the previous yeah. one that I had. Okay. That that's the bottom. Okay. Okay. You can see actually the, the copper flags of the tabless technology, that's the bottom of the can. And that's where they close the can up. It's by the bottom. The nipple on top, that's the cathode. And this is what we, well, at least I commonly call the top of the cell because they'll be mounted like vertically with the nipple pointing up. So what you're looking at on the the other one where the can is like slightly open and you see the jelly roll a little bit sticking out of it, that's the bottom of the can. That's the bottom. Okay. Now on the top where the electrical connections are made, then that's where that is where we see the the copper looking uh, thing in Jordan's picture, right? Because no, that's the aluminum side. Like oh, that's the, the aluminum side. Oh. Yes, the aluminum side is the cathode, and it's basically connected. Just the center part, like if you look at the the photos, uh, the aluminum side uh, is also like cut as an hexagon. So there's six little strips, but they're connected on the the periphery of the cell, and they're loose in the center. 
And this is where the center part of the aluminum current collector is welded to the inside of the nipple. And that's the top of the can. And then the bottom of the can, you have the copper current collector that's on the, on, on the, um, on the copper flags, the, the anode side, which is welded to the sides, the side walls of the can. Oh, I thought it was the opposite way around because, you know, you see the aluminum, that's connected in the center, whereas the copper is not connected in the center. So something like pushes out through there. I thought, I thought, but I guess not. Oh, yeah, th- that's the thing. The, the photo you're seeing at Giga Berlin of the can with the copper, like where you see the inside of the, the jelly roll, the, the, the current collector is not on that photo. And the reason, the most logical reason is Tesla is most proud that their largest innovation in this cell is the tabless technology where like the whole foil is, is basically creates and these are called flags. So all these flags are basically cut and folded down. But if you put the current collector on top of it, you don't see the flags anymore. Now, do we have flags on both sides yes. of the jelly roll? Yes. Okay. One side, it's aluminum flags that are all laid down in the exact same way. And on the flip side, it's copper flags, which are all like it laid down in a Rosetta pattern. Right. And that's where you think that's laser uh, welded some way, some way to the, to those yes. copper or the aluminum. Yeah. Once, once the flags are all uh, flat or almost flat, they basically weld on each side uh, a, a current collector. Yep. One is aluminum and one is copper. The one is aluminum is basically welded straight in the center to the nipple of the battery. And the copper side is welded on the periphery of the can. And that's why the both current collectors are look so different because one has like flaps, uh, six flaps going all around it. That's the copper side because it's welding to the outside of the can. And the uh, aluminum side, which is the cathode, is basically loose in the middle, only in the middle, to basically weld just on that nipple. Okay. You think that these could be pushed in the can in those little, you know, you're saying how the uh, copper is preformed, it's like a spring. Could that be to make up any error in, in the length of the cell so it can compress? Well, we, we, we started that discussion uh, in the beginning. I don't know if you were there. My theory, yeah, my theory is that it could be uh, a type of sh- like shock absorber. So like, yeah, yeah so, so basically like if the cell is mounted vertically, like, like, like we see it in the structural pack. So basically like the whole jelly roll is basically hanging by the nipple where it's welded in the center of the current co- aluminum current collector. And basically, so that's in tension, so it's like it's falling with gravity and what's counterbalancing that force of tension on the top is something in compression is those six little springs on the copper side. And basically the, the, the whole jelly roll has a little bit of motion uh, available to it for vibration and shock without uh, at any time bottoming out or bottoming up and, you know, banging into. So, because you don't want to bang anything into the jelly roll. It's a fragile thing. And if you can have it like a little bit of play, but like, like Jordan said, these things are, once you put the electrolyte, like they swell and they're, they're pretty tight in there. So my theory might be completely wrong, but for now, like they've added a lot of complexities to these current collectors 
And the only reason I can see it's basically for a, some sort of mechanical action. Or else there, there would have been like better ways to, you could have made it just rigid and, you know, be one part of the can without any possible movement between the jelly roll and the can. Whatever the can does, the jelly roll follows along with it. So, okay. Alex, I think we, I think I just thought of a way to square your point of view with my point of view, which is you can still have that thing. It doesn't necessarily um, need to act like a spring. Simply by adding a little bit of distance between the uh, the current collectors and the top and bottom of the can, that will provide mechanical project protection because you won't have those two things constantly rubbing against each other during uh, vibration. So it doesn't necessarily have to act as a spring. Just mm. adding that extra space between the top and the bottom would provide mechanical protection. Just it's from true. rubbing and friction. It's true. Yeah. So So basically the top, because of gravity, it's basically always like hanging a little bit and so it's offset and on the bottom you weld it so it's also offset yeah it's yeah good point yeah i I buy that does that answer your questions ken yeah thanks all right taking the next caller uh me you're up (laughs) oh maybe not so david David, you're up. Oh, sorry. Oh, I clicked the wrong thing. That's my bad. Well, go ahead, me. You're on stage. Okay, so putting it back into the audience. Okay, so people, sorry, this is my bad. Okay, so if anybody have any other questions... Comments. Okay, so we have me who's back. Uh, let me let me try it. There we go. Me, you're up. Just unmute your mic. Me, you're up. You can unmute your mic. It's the one right next to the uh, little emoji on your bottom tray. There you go. Okay. Can you guys hear me now? Yes, we can. Okay, thanks, guys. Um, so my question was around uh, the heat dissipation. Um, so we're hearing that uh, the shell or the can is going to be made up of uh, stainless steel. And if the copper foil is going to be welded at the bottom of the shell, and if we are going to have side cooling, like we were seeing the, in the pictures um, from Giga Berlin, and because stainless steel is not a good conductor of heat, how would how would you know side cooling work? I mean, is that going to be in addition to the bottom cooling? Jordan, you want to address this one? Oh, I think there's a lot of debate and open questions on this one because I think what they showed us at Berlin, I think it was missing a few. Either it was an older version, or it was missing. Um, they they might have left out a few details that are kind of trade secret. Uh, it was definitely an incomplete pack, but I don't know if it was on top of that, if it was like a prior version or something like that. But I, I'm thinking there's some way that they're getting heat from the top and or the bottom of the battery cell, because that's the quickest path to get heat out of the battery cell. They're, they're like uh, uh, thermal superhighways, that copper and aluminum that run through the battery cell. So those cooling loops are 
come right down to the bottom of the battery cells. And even if it's just side cooling, um, I think there's enough conductivity there that it might be able to wick heat away from the top and the bottom. I think James Dalma was going to do some analysis on this. He was going to model it. But if he doesn't, I'd like to find somebody else that can do it. Because uh, I think if they have all that copper at the top or metal at the top and the bottom and they aren't taking advantage of it, it would it'd be kind of silly uh, not to take advantage of it. Uh, does that answer your question, me? Um, yeah. Um, another oh, question I had was... Yeah, go ahead. Um, so uh, would this uh, cell design work for LFP as well? Um, uh, would, would Tesla... That's a good question. <clears throat> I've been running the numbers on this one a little bit. And the main reason why they use prismatic battery cells for LFP is because uh, LFP doesn't have very good volumetric energy density. Usually people are focused on watt hours per kilogram, but uh, with LFP, the volumetric energy density is so low that they have to pack those battery cells into squares in order to fit that much energy under the, the vehicle. Now, with Tesla's structural battery pack and their ability to tightly pack these uh, cylindrical cells so closely together, it looks like, at least based on the numbers I've run, they should be able to get uh, at least a 54 kilowatt hour battery pack using using the structural battery pack. So to me, it makes more sense for them to use the 4680 rather than to add another form factor. And if they want to increase the energy density further from there, the best way to do that would be through the chemistry by potentially adding some silicon. And I think in the short uh, medium term, they should be able to get up to 300 watt hours per, uh, no, sorry, uh, get up to 300 miles of range. I think they should be able to at least match what they're getting from their battery packs from CATL in China, and then over time increase that, getting closer to 300 miles. And in the really long in the really long term, they might actually be able to get a a long range battery pack with LFP, but that would be 2025 and beyond. So you think there would be um, four, four to six eighties with LFP chemistry? Yes. Okay. Cool. Thanks for for answering my questions, guys. Good. Thanks a lot, me. Uh, going with David next. You're up, David. Okay. Uh, hi there. Um, I was just going to continue down the thought process on the thermal side of things. Um, that was brought up. So, Alex, I think you mentioned, which I think Jordan didn't notice at the beginning, I didn't, that, that there's laser welds on the copper um, cap that we're talking about down to the tablets or the tabs of the Okay, just like design, right? Yeah, no, nomenclature. Hold on, just nomenclature wise, because it's tabless technologies. Yeah. Those things are called flags. Right. <laughs> okay, flags. So we've got laser welding. You've got those five laser welds each section. Three, it looks like three long yep. ones and two short ones. And then those correspond with the tab that then is conducting, is welded and conducts into the can. Correct. Yes, that's what that's like how it is uh, like binded to the flags. But all this thing is like compressed, so all the flags are basically touching 
the uh, the current collector, both on the copper side and the aluminum side. But yes, like they're fixed right. with those. Hence, we get yeah. the presumed thermal benefits of this tablet. So then, but then as far as the flow from there into the can, I mean, we're looking based on this design, it looks to me as if the flow is going to be going into the sort of corner edge, predominantly at six points. And then there's obviously going to be some that's, that's making its way through these other contact points. Uh, I'm not sure I follow you. If you look on the copper sides, like most of the circumference of the current collector, because it's like split very, like most of the circumference, it will be in contact with a can. There's little gaps between the six uh, flaps. Right. But like most of it. Prime contact is on the circumference as opposed to. Yes, exactly. You know, when I first, I think like Jordan, when I first saw the flags of the tablet design, I sort of imagined a plate flat across all of those that then also would be flat to the bottom of the can and thereby, you know, the, the prime heat flow would be straight out the bottom as opposed to around the circumference and thereby sort of more proximal to the walls. Uh, yes. Hence- I, I think there's, there's two reasons to this. One is Jordan mentioned it is basically it, it could be like a protection. So it's not in contact neither on the top or the bottom, so it can't bang into it, so it can't damage it. And I think another part is maybe the one I mentioned, that it might be, you know, you have, you need three functions. You need to, like, one one side needs to to be able to collect the current, one side you need to be able to cool it, and one side you need it for safety. And since you only have three sides to the batteries, uh, one side and the bottom makes the most sense, to be the safety side. So basically no current collection and no cooling. So it, it might be an intersection of, of, of properties like to make the cell safer that it actually connected to the sides because like the coolant, you have more surface area to cool the battery on the sides than you do at the bottom, like the surface area of the bottom disc. And if you look at it, mm-hmm. the geometry is not exactly the same because uh, if you look at the video from Battery Day or like my pin tweet, you'll see that it's not as the, sh- the corners aren't as sharp as the one shown in uh, the blow up on the, the big poster at Berlin. You see it's much more rounded. And in the center, you have also a little nipple with the dark spot. So there's a lot more geometry. So you would need if you wanted to pull heat out of that geometry, you need to have something. Uh, that matches that geometry exactly to be in physical contact with it to basically pull heat out of it. Whereas the side of the cell is yeah, perfectly smooth sense. and you can have something like a ribbon just basically hugging it and right. like drawing the heat from there. Right. And Tesla's already got a lot of data on that over that design approach. We're, I'm going, Jordan might be able to answer this, which is on the thermal side, is there... Um, I mean, I assume the heat distributes through everything, but is there the, the most of the heat's coming from resistance of the movement of these ions that are shuttling back and forth? Does that concentrate more on the anode side as it's trying to get out of the anode and, you know, at the time of discharge and, and move? Or is it pretty even, you know, and, and unimportant as to whether you're pulling from uh, cathode or anode side? That's a, that's a really good question. I haven't looked into that specific, 
question specifically. My assumption was always that because these layers are about as um, they're about 50 microns, give or take. Right. Uh, so they're about as uh, thick as a, a human hair. So the the thermal propagation with the materials that thick, I, I don't think it would matter. And but I am curious to see some sort of thermal analysis of this to see if you could actually wick the heat away from the side. Because my one concern, if you do try to use ribbon cooling on just the sides and not plate cooling is there would be a gradient. There would be a heat gradient, and therefore you'd have a degradation gradient because right. uh, the degradation of a battery is linked to uh, the temperatures that it hits. So, um, like, yeah. it looks like they're doing the, the ribbon every other row. And once again, we don't know if this is the, the final battery pack, but if it's every other row, you'd have the, the far side of the battery cell that may not be getting cooled as well as the near side. So I'm not convinced yet that... They can do away with plate cooling. Maybe Alex has contacts that have information to the otherwise. I'm just working based on what we saw in Berlin. But, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it there. Yeah. And one one last thought on the just the plate cooling was Alex was talking about protection from ingress from below from anything on the road. And I always thought that the plate cooling might offer some of that protection area, you know, because you have a void, an, an area with a void there. So. Oh yeah, yeah. On top of that, you also need for the uh, you need to create that honeycomb. I would assume you'd need some sort of plate on the bottom to do the uh, to create the torsional rigidity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, j j just to add to that, uh, I would say that yes, like um, some sort of plate cooling would offer protection from the outside, but it would impede protection from the inside. Like if something happens to the cell and you have something in like intimate contact with the bottom of the cell then where does the, the hot gases and debris, because these things, when, when once one goes into thermal runaway, it's not only hot gases, there's debris coming out of it. And then it would bounce, it, it would bounce right on this say. cooling plate and would basically be ejected sideways. And what sideways would be like adjacent cells. So then, so this is where I'm thinking that right. that's why they're going ribbon. Uh, instead of plate cooling, but we will have like more episodes as as we learn more about these systems and figure them out. Uh, I'm pretty sure Jordan is up to to coming back and like nerd out with us and like investigate this. And I'm pretty sure he's going to be doing videos. So subscribe to his channel. I think you you guys already know who he is on on YouTube and on Twitter. Like go follow him, go subscribe, and probably lots of good data coming forth. This is mostly like first impressions. Gotcha. And all the typical venting comes out the top, the microscopic pores and the diaphragm we were talking about, that's placed on top, correct? <clears throat> well, I don't think the 4680 has that. Hmm. It doesn't have that. Go ahead. Well, uh, okay, let's be clear on what, the, just make sure we read at the top and the bottom. Because um, I think with the 4680, there's that copper plug at the top. I think that's going to blow out and it's going to eject downwards rather than upwards into the passenger compartment. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so let's take the next caller. You're up, Moore. I'm not seeing your name fully. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah. Morehouse, go ahead. Moore, hear me? All right, so to follow me, yep. uh, can you pull up two images? The uh, Berlin poster. 
And Alex, your pinned tweet, right? So in the Berlin poster, it appears that that, that plate, that cover, is actually upside down, right? If you compare the geometry to your pinned tweet, it looks reversed, like it's flipped 180. You see what I'm talking about here? Yeah, I think I do. Again, like the... And it, go, go so ahead. That so plate, that plate, if you stick it inside the circumference of a can, the can um, will be sort of crimped over that the lip like, like you would say a soda can. That's kind of what I see here. And on the bottom, of, bottom left of that uh, Brandenburg uh, poster, it shows a little rivet, and that perfectly matches the rivet in your pin tweet center, and that would perfectly go through that, uh, that copper plate, if you will. And that sort of attaches all those three pieces together, like two pieces, if you will. But it looks to me in that, that, that Berlin image on that poster, that, that top metal plate is, is flipped. Yeah, I, I, I see what you mean. And I, I, I'm, it's the first time I've noticed it, whether it's flipped or not. But yes, it seemed that, yeah, the bump. If you flip that upside down, it, 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 the geometry matches perfectly with the, the, the image from the, the, the B-roll from your pen tweet. Yeah, yeah, and then I, the, think, I, I think you're right. And then the can of circumference course, will, will, be, will be crimped over that inwards like a soda can. Yes, I, and, and this is the thing, like, uh, the only difference, like I'm saying, is, like, uh, it's on the border because one would be, like, pre-crimp and the one in my B-roll would be, like, already crimped on. So you can't focus on the edge because the edge will change. Right. But if you focus on the center, yes, there is something right. there where, like, the, the, the center bump uh, on the B-roll is pointing outside and the other one is pointing inside. So, yeah. It, it, yeah, correct. And that good, good catch. That copper... That copper uh, current collector appears to match the the inside of that uh, plate geometry as well. So I think that that centered rivet, as you uh, explained earlier, is sort of there to hold those pieces together. And those six tabs are sort of like that spring cushion, if you will. You know, but anyway, that's what I see. Yeah, good catch. Yeah, I'm going to look into that. But it, I, I think you you may have found something interesting here that the, the, the lid is actually like flipped uh, opposite. To yeah. I think the they way. try to throw people off of that image, but that's, that's what I see. Anyway, that's, that's all I have. Okay. But that's good. Thanks a lot. Uh, yeah. Going next, uh, Ricky. Hey guys. Um, How you I was doing? looking at uh, Jordan's tweet chain here and down in the, the banners. So the, the idea is that this battery is going to be structural, correct? Uh, you, you mean the cells are going to be used in a structural pack? Yeah. Yes, of course. All right. So that last one where it has all the, the pieces where it's making the connection on top. So it's going to carry electric current. It's got to cool. And somewhere in there, they got to put some kind of adhesive, right? I mean, is, it, is there some point where like adhesive would be a blocker? Cause I, I, I don't know a lot, a lot about adhesives in this, this point and carrying electric current, but where, where is the surface oh. area that you're actually putting something to make this structural with an adhesive foam? 
Well, it, it, it's a good question, but you got to know that adhesives comes in all sorts. Uh, so you have those who are electrically conductive, those who are electrically insulating. You have adhesives which are thermally conducting, which are thermally isolating. And you have all these combinations. They exist. Um, my best guess, no, maybe Jordan, you want to feel this one. Like, how do you think they're going to make? Because we see the, the pack level current collectors, which are basically like welded. But how do you connect? And I think we've had this conversation before uh, informally in private. How do you transfer shear through the can wall if you're not physically connected to the can wall? Yeah, my, my best guess was uh, on the video that I made that they, they sandwich this, everything in here as tightly as possible and then they inject it. Um, and that was the nature of our debate was, well, can you still do shear transfer uh, if you do it like that? I don't know if we arrived at an answer. Uh, actually, like, like, actually, I was of the opposite opinion, uh, but drilling down more and more, I, I my thinking started to, to move towards yeah. Jordan. It's like, yes, if you want, like, maximum shear transfer, you need actual both sandwich plates to be, like, physically connected. This is, like, for the top maximum. But maybe maximum is not what's needed. Maybe just a certain amount of shear transfer is more than enough for what they need to do. And you don't need to over-engineer it because it's not necessary. And you can – hold on. I just want to compliment that. with uh, If you look at the Giger Berlin uh, structural pack, um, you can see the cells and the yeah. cooling ribbons. But if you look at the front of it – you'll see that they put like some mock cells and some foam. And I think that's how the, the whole structure, how the whole pack becomes structural because it binds the cells with the plates top and bottom. And it's like, it provides, this is how the shear is transferred. So it goes from the bottom plate through a bit of foam, through the cell wall cans, through a bit of foam, through the top plate. And that's more than enough for, for what they need. And that foam is probably not the same brittle foam that we've seen people when Sandy Monroe takes, takes apart a pack. You know, it breaks in his hands. It might be something that's much more um, rigid and uh, like sticky that it can actually like transfer shear. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me with that last picture where you see the pieces on top and they have holes over where the the empty part between the cells would be. It would literally like have a binding agent coming up through that and then back down. Yeah, everything is like enveloped in this structural foam gotcha. that sticks okay. to everything that it touches. And basically then you have a big sandwich. It's like I said, it's not as good as if like a pure honeycomb. If If you've ever looked at like, how they do carbon fiber or things like that, you'll see that they use a honeycomb and the plates are binded like with the minimum amount of glue to the top and bottom of the honeycomb section. And that's probably the maximum strength you can get. Uh, but you don't need maybe all that strength. No, <clears throat> no thanks for that. Cause I, I was trying to envision that it's like, man, there's so much going on here. And it almost made me wonder if that's why they were going with the ribbon cooling. Um, just because <laughs> the top and bottom of those batteries are going to—they're carrying the current. <laughs> they're going to, uh, yeah. There's just a lot going on there, man. Yeah, that that foam is uh, is probably a fire retardant. It's also probably, uh, well, more than probably, it has to be electrically insulating. 
and it probably has very good mechanical properties. It, it's a combination of those three things that would make this pack structural and be able to flood every everything that's in there without causing any problems, but actually solving some. All right. And I think, I think, I think Ricky did a really good job of summarizing the, the problem that we're trying to tackle here. You have all these different requirements that this pack has to be able to achieve. How in the hell did they get this, all this to work in symphony? Because each thing is connected to every other thing, and it's, it's a complex system. You, you, you touch one thing, and it has an impact on uh, the thermal regulation, uh, the conductivity, and the structural aspects of the battery pack. So it's a difficult problem to solve, and it's going to take us a while to unpack what exactly uh, that they've done here. So I would add one more thing. I think a lot of this, um, the, the shear transfer we're talking about, I think a lot of it depends on how rigid that epoxy foam is. Um, I'm assuming that it's not electrically conductive, but if if there's no direct contact between the battery cells and the sheets on the top and the bottom, um, then that epoxy foam must be super rigid, and then the battery cells act as kind of like rebar does in concrete, just providing a bit more reinforcement throughout the, the length. I wonder if anybody at Giga Berlin was able to approach that mock-up and poke the foam to see how rigid it was. <laughs> I would have. I would have tried. <laughs> that would have been awesome. I mean, it, it makes you wonder because everything else that they've tackled, I mean, from the bottom up, material science, like the, the, the way they change the chemistry on the magnets and the motor. Um, I mean, they've, it makes you wonder if they, they've come up with something that could be rigid and I, I just do the things that we're thinking it would do. All right. Yeah. Thank Thanks a lot. Taking the next question, uh, next caller, Scott, uh, you're up. Uh, Scott, can you unmute? Yes. Speak. Scott, going once, going twice. Okay, I think we're going to move to Landon. Landon, you're up. Hi, thank you for having me up. Just want to say briefly, I don't have any education or experience in these fields. And the men and the women in this room and on the stage have done an excellent job here and elsewhere at helping me understand these concepts. So thank you personally for me and anybody else in, in my level of experience. So my question is, I'm wondering if now or in the future, we'd care to speculate on what this technology does for potential pack sizes in the vehicles that 4680s are likely to go in. For example, we're thinking semi, Cybertruck, and Model Y. If we look at the current pack sizes in the vehicles that exist now, like a Model Y, my 2020, I believe, came with a 77 as a, as a pack size and was then moved up by Tesla, not my vehicle, but the production Model Ys after mine, to an 82. So do you think that Tesla would keep a similar pack size and have a more efficient vehicle, or would they 
move to a smaller pack size again for a similar range. Thank you. Sawyer, Jordan, you're I'll up. take a step. Um, <laughs> I think they'll, I would like to see them keep the pack size the same and increase the range. I, I'm not in the camp that they would uh, drastically increase the size of the pack, but uh, I, I also don't want to see them decrease the size. I think with the uh, additional efficiencies they can get with these new technologies, keep the pack size the same and increase the mileage. And a lot of the reason I say that is because that's what they've done in the past. They keep the pack size the same, and then they give you more range through efficiency improvements. But I'm interested to see here. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, the same size pack, if you're able to reduce the weight by removing structural elements and that kind of thing, can actually give you more range. So there will be an improvement just in that. And then I also know that the semi, I think, is going to be around a megawatt hour. Sawyer, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I'll say my th my thoughts have sort of been developing. You know, I used to think that they might put less, just less cells in it, and that way they'd have more cells for more more cars. But I would say in the last week, I've sort of been tilting more towards Jordan's opinion, where they'll sort of keep the pack similar size, um, and they'll increase the range. Um, and I'm hoping I can sort of shed more light on why I think that. Um, but yeah, I, th I think they'll probably bump up the range. Nice. Uh, a follow-up question, Landon? Just perhaps if you could speak to what variables might be in play there to make that decision, what would you say are priorities for a new vehicle? Like, is it weight reduction? Is it, uh, you know, saving the number of cells? Or is it the, the structural pack itself? Is the integrity important to have a certain number of cells in it or any other factors I might not be thinking of. Well, I, I think on some level, this is like uh, you're mentioning a whole bunch of variables that basically add to the same thing. So if you can, like Omar said, like reduce weight because you're not employing so many like dead uh, structural components, but actually active structural components, then you get with the same size pack in kilowatt hours, you, you get more range. Um, same as with e efficiency, what Jordan was mentioning with motors getting more efficient and then being able to, 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 to go further on less, uh, all these things um, uh, like are part of the same equation. And of course, the more batteries you add, even if it's structural, the more weight you're carrying around. I would say that I'm somewhere in the middle. I think Tesla will, We'll do actually both. We'll actually probably make the packs a bit smaller and still increase the range. They'll, 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 find, they'll be the leader in efficiency and range, but they won't go, they won't like jump like three steps ahead of what's available on the market just for the sake of doing it. Because this also affects the margins and how many vehicles you can make. So I think they will be, they'll continue to be the leader in range, both like in battery and, and efficiency but they're not going to give you everything that they could give you by filling the same volume that's, let's say, in a Model Y today with 2170s by filling all that with 4680s. 
uh, because there's no point in doing it. Like there's no point in offering like a six, 700 mile range car today. If the market is not there and charge the same thing to be competitive on sale yeah. price. So I think they'll always incrementally increase. And for the safety, I, it, I, I don't think it matters at all. Like, even if you think about safety and agility, like Elon mentioned, like the closer you put the cells to the center of the car, you get like two benefits. First, it's more maneuverable. But secondly, let's say you get a side impact for whatever reasons, the batteries are really inside the car so far that they're not in danger of being impacted. So just filling it for the sake of filling it, I don't think they'll do that, but I think they will remain uh, the leaders in range and efficiency. Well, if you go back to what they did with uh, the Plaid Model S, um, who was it, Motor Trend, something like that, they said the battery pack size was um, a little bit smaller than it was before, something like 100 kilowatt hours. But they didn't say where they got that information. But I don't know if you saw online today on YouTube, but there's a guy that claims to have a Plaid battery pack, and he listed yeah. the number of battery cells. And when I calculated that, it came to about 90 kilowatt hours. So yep. uh, at most 95. So it, it looks like Tesla, if that bad video is accurate, then they are able to remove five to 10 kilowatt hours out of, out of the battery pack and still slightly increase the range. So, um, oh, yeah, yeah, you, you might uh, yep. that could happen as well. But I do think the battery pack will not get larger because they're going to try to stretch these cells as, as far as they can. And, and uh, to that video, there's a lot to unpack in that video. The quality yeah. of the video is not great. Uh, the guy's running around, I think, with his uh, uh, phone. But, yeah, there's a lot of new interesting tech and developments that they put into the Plaid pack. Uh, for example, like the cooling, the inlets and the outlets are both on the same side, which is, I think, pretty unusual. But And all, all sorts of stuff. But this is maybe for another episode. Thanks. I hope the rest of your week's good. Thanks a lot. You too, Landon. Okay, we're going to give Scott another chance. Next caller. You're up, Scott. Hey, can you hear me now? Yes, Great. we can hear you. Um, sorry about that. Uh, so my comment was on um, for the thermals on the cell can. Um, if the thermals are mostly going through the top and the bottom, then do you have expansion of the the can radial radially outward and inward versus if the thermals are going to the sides, then the the expansion would be up and down, you know, taller and shorter. So I don't know if that would affect how they design it. What do you think, George? Thanks. Have you considered like where the the initial heat is dumped? If, if it's dumped uh, like on the bottom versus the sides, which would be better for the overall life of, of the battery? Um, I, I think it's better for the life of the battery uh, just in terms of, I, I don't think it's gonna have to do with expansion and contraction, but that's me taking a guess because all materials have, at least as I understand it, different, uh, rates of expansion dependent on how much temperature that they're exposed to. I think uh, you and I calculated it for that new gigacasting. It was something like between 
is just a few millimeters for something that was a couple meters yeah. long. So it's just infinitesimally small amount of expansion. And we're talking a wide temperature range of something like 50 degrees Celsius. So I don't think that'll be a factor here. But I do think that um, the way that you pull the heat out of the battery cell and the uniformity that you're able to do that will affect battery life. That makes sense to me. The other so comment I, that's I would, what, I'd that's, make on the um, the battery pack sizes is, is as long as they're cell constrained, they will try to not increase battery pack sizes. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Scott. So we've been going at it for almost an hour and a half, uh, and we don't have any more callers. So uh, I think we're going to end it here. What do you guys think? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it was a good, great call and uh, or a podcast, I should say. And it was sort of cool to be a fly on the wall for the conversation you guys had. Well, I want to thank Jordan. Like this, th- thank you for coming on yeah. and nerding out with us. Ho- hope we can do it again. Uh, we have so much to cover all the way up to the structural pack and all that. So, yeah, w- w- hope you'll join us again. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it, and I hope uh, everybody else enjoyed it as well. Uh, we're getting into quite a bit of depth there. <laughs> so um, uh, if people got something out of it, then then great. Because I often have conversations like this with battery researchers, et cetera, but I try to boil things down when I put it on my channel. Um, but I, I, I do think there's a lot of value watching two people work through a problem together. So Absolutely. I always enjoy it. We, it's not our first time doing it, but I think it's our first time doing it in public. So. I, I think we should do it more like every time we have a little breakthrough, maybe take do our first impressions, nerd out. And I'm hoping you you will do like a series or at least a video once you have like enough information to to do another like deep dive on the on, on the cell and the battery pack. Really enjoy your content. Again, I want to tell everybody here listening, please give a follow here on Colin to to Jordan and also his YouTube channel and Twitter. It's always very good information. Thank you so much, Jordan. That was awesome. All right. So with that, we're going to close this room. Thank you all for being here. And uh, the episode will be published on Colin shortly and uh, probably tomorrow on YouTube for those Android folks who can't have access to it just yet. Uh, So make sure if you see people uh, crying about it that they'll be able to access it on YouTube uh, until like Colin (laughs) makes it available to Android users. Well, thank you all and have a nice evening. Thank you. Later, man. Cheers.